Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Orange County Department of Education. Since 2017, the Orange County Department of Education in California and their Language Services Unit is spearheading the professionalization of interpreters and translators working in educational settings and providing professional learning opportunities to bilingual staff by hosting their annual Interpreters and Translators Conference. With the participation of over 100 school districts from 25 states, 40 county offices of education, and 11 countries in the past four years, it is one of the most renowned events in the educational field. The Orange County Department of Education would like to invite you to their fifth annual conference on the road to professionalization, taking place September 8th through October 2nd, 2021, in a four-week professional learning series. For more information on this event, please visit www.ocde.us. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me for another special episode today. Today's special episode guest is Latanya Mar Irtega. She's an educator here to talk to us about family engagement in our diverse schools and how we can help schools assess how we connect with our emergent bilinguals as well as with our diverse communities. So I hope you enjoy this special episode and please connect with me on social media and share with me your feedback on what you think about these special episodes or what other special episode topics you'd perhaps like to hear on this podcast. So without further ado, here's Latanya Mar Iertega. Latanya, welcome. I am so glad that you're joining us today and uh, here to share a little bit about what you do and your passion. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am super well, excited to get into this conversation. And I want to introduce the audience a little bit about how you and I uh, kind of met in a way, uh, which was through Clubhouse, right? Clubhouse has been a powerhouse for me, Mireya. You have no idea. Yes, you can go on ahead with that, but I think I'll get a little bit into that later. But yes, power Clubhouse has been a powerhouse in terms of my um, my confidence and just you meeting you. I mean, that's been amazing. Thank you. Yes, we were in a room called, uh, uh, it was titled Education Policy, and I believe it was specifically on equity in education. And yes. I'd gone up to I'd gone up to the stage to include a bit about language access as part of the equity conversation. Do you remember that? Yes, I do, because we we're talking about our um, our emerging bilinguals and how do we give them um, the access that they need and what do our districts and our um, districts in our community do to make sure that we are engaging in that linguistic capital to make sure that they are informed 
of what needs to be um, done on their end, but also what the district is doing to meet their needs. Yes. Yes. And it was such a great topic. I just, you know, like I couldn't get enough. I wish we could just talk just specifically about that. But of course, there's so many great topics to talk about when it comes to uh, equity and education. So before we dive into that deep subject, let's get into a little bit about your background and uh, your uh, your history. So uh, where were you born and raised, Latanya? And how did you begin your journey in education? Thank you for that question. Um, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, New Mexico, which is a small um, town in, in the north side of New Mexico. Yo soy Norteña. Um, so yo soy Chicana. Um, so um, I'm from northern New Mexico. So we have a little bit of different of history. So our history is that mix of, you know, the cultures of my beautiful state, New Mexico, the land of enchantment. So I was born and raised in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Both of my parents uh, were educators. My mother uh, retired from being a community college um, director of recruitment and admissions uh, retention in my small town. So community college is where I started my higher education uh, career. And so community colleges are very important to me because my mom taught me so much about them. And then my father was actually a, um, was from Kansas, was from Atchison, Kansas, uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, where he was recruited to play baseball and he became a math educator and a football coach. Uh, My dad passed away when I was young, um, when I was two, uh, but my mom helped me, um, helped me by always being an amazing mom, by sticking to my roots and always um, visiting Kansas and Missouri to visit my family. Um, With that came in my grandmother. My grandmother was a very big part of my life. Um, She, my mom worked, uh, you know, all day. And then she was always an, also an exercise instructor for 36 years. Um, So when my mom was at work, I was with my grandmother and we were visiting my Bistias, my bestios, my great aunts and uncles. And she was teaching me how to cook and she was teaching me Spanish. Yes, she spoke to me in Spanish and I responded in English, something that I wish I would have not done. But hey, here I am now in bilingual education. And she really fired me up to learn the language and to make sure that I was competent. Um, so I have a very, um, I would like to say I have an old soul because I was always raised with my grandmother on the fence, I mean, on the fence, on the porch, you know, on the el portal with my great aunts and uncles talking and, uh, and things of that sort. So I was always with my grandmother. Um, then I went to a small school called Robertson high school. And then from there I graduated. And then I went to New Mexico Highlands university where I was, um, it was 2000, 1999, 2000, when uh, we were told in our state that everybody had to have a bilingual endorsement. And so in the state of New Mexico, all of us at that time, we all received a bilingual endorsement in which we were able to teach in English and Spanish with our certification. This is, and, I'm sorry, Latanya, this was bilingual right. endorsement for yes. teaching. So right. you went yeah. to the university with the intention of becoming a teacher. I, yes. yes, ma'am. Sorry. Yes. But oh. first I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> I want to be different things, but then I realized where my heart was and it was to become a teacher. 
I'm you sorry. Get in education. Yeah, no, that's okay. You wanted to get into education. And yeah. then you said that um, it was a requirement uh, to get bilingual endorsement, which here in California, I believe that must be like um, the uh, English language learner endorsement or what is it called? Oh, um, yeah, ESOL. But in New Mexico, actually, since so New Mexico is a, it's a different, it's kind of like Puerto Rico. You know, like we, New Mexico, you know, Puerto Rico, my beloved Puerto Rico, you know, is a territory. It should be a state. I will say that. <laughs> uh, but New Mexico is the only state in the union that we have two official languages besides Puerto Rico. You know, like we have English and we have Spanish as our two official languages. So um, at that time, they were paying for us because it was during the time um, where there's a lot of stimulus, a lot of money in terms of our minorities at that time, they called the minorities. I like to call us minorities because there there's nothing minor about us. Um, <laughs> so at the, there's nothing minor about us. Nothing. Love nothing. That. Yeah. So, um, so we were, um, there was a lot of money in the universities and we were able to get our bilingual endorsement along with my TESOL endorsement. So my bilingual endorsement said that I was able to teach in English and Spanish. So not only did I take, my TESOL courses, but I also had to take linguistics in Spanish, uh, bilingual teaching methods in Spanish. I took um, half of my courses were in Spanish. And I'm blessed by that because I am who I am today. Um, I live in Kansas now where I need to practice more, I'll be honest. But had it not been for New Mexico Highlands University in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and my mentor, Dr. Loretta Salazar, I would have not engaged in this career. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. That sounds like a very rich um, education and ex yes. educational experience. Um, yes. Bilingual endorsement. So fascinating. So you get into uh, the world of teaching now. And what is your first experience? Do you remember that first experience when you yes. when you actually start yes. teaching and, and what was it compared to your expectation? Okay, so I'm from northern New Mexico. Northern New Mexico, we have our own dialect of Spanish because of the Castilian, um, the because we're rural. And so in terms of history, the Castilian Spanish is very influenced in the northern part of New Mexico because of the rural uh, side of it. And so um, our dialect of Spanish is different. Like we have different words for different things. So um, my first experience was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the South Valley. Um, I was at Armijo Elementary School. All, every single one of my babies, every single one of them were immigrants. Every single one. Immigrants wow. within the last three years in Albuquerque. And so the first day, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a reality check for me. It wasn't like a bad reality check. It was a point that, hey, this is why you took this test because you had to decipher the reality of, of Spanish. Your world got bigger at that moment. It did, yeah. very big. Because I, New Mexico, you think you, you're speaking Spanish and you have this academic university Spanish and then you go to the South Valley when you're dealing with the gente, you know, because mm. you have this ivory tower. And then you go to work with recent immigrants and you realize that, hey, their language is not that academic language is not rich, but their language has more feeling. Their language is who they are. You know, like I learned the academic language, but that's who they were, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was a, a, a great wake up call to understand how beautiful language is. Mm. And so, like I said, ella tiene que llevar sus sus bolsas, and I and I learned 
you know, backpacks, bolsa, your bag. You know, I never paid attention to that mochila backpack was a word. I mean, mm. I was not introduced to backpack, backpack, mochila, no, Dora the Explorer, <laughs> uh, you know, and that was their time. But still, like, maestra, es una mochila. Okay, you know, teacher, that's a backpack. Okay. The other one was um, leva. I use leva, chaqueta, uh, for jacket. And that's chamarra for them. Mm. So it was a big learning curve. Even just but we Spanish, learned together. Yeah, yeah it was, we learned together, though. I I have one child. Her name is Carolina. And she is a, a AP Spanish teacher of literature. I'm so proud of her. But anyway, but that's where I started. Albuquerque, New Mexico, Armijo Elementary, Elementary School, Five Stars and Bridge. That's where I started. How beautiful. Now, bring us to present moment. And where are you currently? Oh, right now I'm in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, I went to Dolores Gonzalez Elementary School to teach. Dolores Gonzalez is also in the South Valley, but it's in a really strong school community. When I was there at Dolores Gonzalez, I not only taught dual language immersion, which is 50% of the day English, 50% of the day Spanish. I also taught in the UNM family, University of New Mexico Family Literacy Project while I was getting my master's degree at UNM and I had an amazing, another amazing uh, pioneer in literacy, bilingual literacy. Her name is Dr. Leila Flores Duenas, a musician, and she taught me the importance and understanding of uh, family literacy. And so we had four years of a family literacy program where we taught them. We, we First, we had a meeting. We listened to them, their funds of knowledge, who they were. And then we had a lesson in terms of what we were doing in the schools. It might have been math. It might have been uh, reading. It could have been history. Anything we were doing in the classroom that we thought was important for them to take home, that's what we did. And that's where my love of family engagement came. So uh, from that, I came, I was told by my professor, my advisor, that if I ever want to come home to New Mexico or New Mexico State, that I need to get out of my community and my state to get my doctorate. And so I had, um, I got a divorce. Um, in between all that, I, I opened a meat processing facility, but that's another story for another day. So <laughs> I did all that. Um, but I got divorced and I had my three children and I had the opportunity to come to Kansas state to get my EDD and curriculum and instruction. And I took it and I came because I have always dreamed to go back to UNM and continue the, the journey of Dr. Leila Flores Duenas, Dr. Rebecca Blue Martinez of the people and Dr. Loretta Salazar that taught me the importance of bilingualism, the importance of biculturalism, and why I became an educator. So I was like, I got to get out to go back in. So I'm in Manhattan, Kansas. I'm working on my doctorate right now in education and curriculum instruction. I'm a doctoral candidate. Wow, that's so amazing, uh, Latanya. Congratulations on that. And uh, we it's just such a great story to be able to hear um, those words of encouragement, because I think that uh, sometimes even um, as adults, uh, well, not sometimes, even as adults, uh, we still need those guides, you know, and the fact that you're talking about uh, someone guiding you and giving you those words of wisdom. And here you are now, uh, you know, sometime later, in spite of whatever other stuff is going on, uh, yes. still pursuing that dream. So congratulations uh, to you for that. Now, you're not currently in the classroom then. 
Um, I'm actually in the classroom in terms of I'm teaching teachers, I'm instruction, instructing and facilitating classes, TESOL education classes at Kansas State University. So I'm not in the classroom with little bits. I'm in the classroom with adults, in-service teachers. Uh, these in-service teachers are on a uh, track with, it's a family engagement um family engagement grant along with KU in which we're infusing family engagement within our courses for the TESOL, which are the certification courses here in Kansas. So I have about 60 in-service teachers and then I have uh, five teachers that are pre-service. So I have about 65 students total that I instruct in terms of how to teach. And we use biography-driven instruction which is written by uh, my supervisor and um, my dissertation chair, Dr. Socorro Herrera. And these are uh, based on the biography of our students and how do we use those to guide the way in which we teach within our classroom. So it's building that ecology of care. Now, give us a little bit of, for those of us that aren't uh, educators and don't know the, the the academic world in terms of, you know, what you guys are emerged in and, and being taught. You know, we see we see the other end, right? We see once you guys are in the classroom and all that. But um, this TESO program you just mentioned has components of family engagement. What does that entail within those components of family engagement? What are you focusing on? So in terms of family engagement, I mean, not only do we understand the biography of the child. So when I say the biography of of the child in terms of biography driven instruction, um, we have, you know, we have different aspects, different learning dimensions and different aspects of our child to make who they are. So our culturally and linguistically diverse child, everybody has a biography, but I am focusing on students that are emerging bilinguals. Mm-hmm. When I say emerging bilinguals, many times people say English language learners, and I like to lean towards emerging bilinguals or multilingual speakers because it shows that they it's an additive, right? So um, we're looking at the um, sociocultural background. Who are they? Where do they come from? Their linguistic background. Um, what do they speak? What languages? And also that may entail what their language score was. So they, you know, different states take different, different um, assessments. Mm-hmm. But a lot of our states take the access, which is based off of WIDA and access test. Here in Kansas, we call something called the KELPA, which is the Kansas, you know, uh, English language proficiency assessment. Um, but I helped with the access test. So that test is one of my favorites because it gives so much background. Um, so many times the linguistic background of our kids includes a test score. Um, also, we have our academic background, um, where they were, where, who they are in terms of how, what grade did they go up to? Um, you know, where did, where was their other school? They went to another school and then we have our cognitive, our cognitive uh, dimension. So that's what we try to use to really think about our kids so that we also have our family background. So how can we help our families fill in those blanks and how can we engage the families and being part of our students' background and our students' education, our partnership. And it's really about centering the family, not centering the school agenda. 
Of course, as a school, we have to get things done. But if we're not building relationships with our families and understanding who they are, how much can we really get done? So many times in our schools, partnership is one site. We can say partnership, but it's really not. It's like, okay, are you involved in our school? Do you come to the science fair? Do you come to the bake sale? And we want to have our parents go sign a page saying, oh, yeah, we were here. But yet we're not really understanding who our families are and how can we include them in the planning of what our school does or what our classroom does. So family engagement is understanding our families, building relationships to build a true partnership in their in our students' education, not just being one-sided. That is where the conversation of language access and family engagement collide. This is where they come together because uh, this is, in fact, something that, you know, is spoken about time and time again. We hear it um, in very many of our uh, education agencies, uh, the word family engagement, family engagement. But what does that really mean when we peel that down? And I love how uh, you just said uh, with regards to partnership, we like throwing that word out a lot in education when it comes to families, but is it all families? Are we, are we really looking into how to create these uh, real genuine partnerships with the families, yeah. including those of our uh, language learners? So um, I, I love this conversation because when we talk about language access, that if done correctly, there's also that whole aspect, right, of language access and who you are placing in order to ensure meaningful yeah. language access um, to connect with your families. We we can often say language access will equal family engagement. Of course, you know, like I said, meeting that criteria of, you know, qualified people uh, going out there, ensuring that uh, appropriate and meaningful language access is offered. But does family engagement equal language access? In other words, because we're saying, and I think you just answered the question, because we're saying we want our families to be, we want to work in partnership or in collaboration with our families does that necessarily mean that they're thinking about our families, our, our, our language English proficient? I know that uh, limited English proficient, excuse me. Um, at one point I heard a, a different uh, title for that. And I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I could it. never find it. Yeah, I loved can, what he said, can, but I can't find yeah. it now. I'll tell you, we use emergent bilinguals. If you go look up I use, that's what I use. I use multilingual speakers or I use um, emergent bilinguals because they're becoming bilingual. Like we're not trying to help them learn English at the stake of their first language, whatever it is, maybe Spanish, Arabic, French, you know, um, Quechua, maybe it be a language. Like, for example, the other day I had a um, colleague of mine reach out to me and she said, there's a family um, from Michoacan and they're looking for somebody to speak the native language of Michoacan. So like, we do not want to have them learn English at the sake of their first language. Mm. So it's that linguistic capital, you know, we have that. to really build on that. Yes. And so it's, yeah. a, and it's, um, and I know many people still use, um, I mean, many districts, many, the, that's the vocabulary 
of our schools is limited English proficient. But we have to think about the connotation of that. Yeah, limited, you know, already yeah, as soon limited, as you start the that. Limited. So mm-hmm. when a kid walks in, a child, a student walks in, they don't speak your language. And right away, like in the back of your mind, they say limited. I'm like, limited to what? Limited to English and what? They know Spanish, you know, Arabic. They know how to add, they know how to subtract. They know their language. They're just limited to the language. They're not limited to their cognitive experience. They're not limited to their academic experience. They're not limited to who they are. So that's why I get really passionate, if you can tell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in California, that is definitely the coined term when we're referring to our families, those that we service. Yeah, Yeah, the limited English proficient. Limited. But like yes. I said, at some point I did hear a gentleman when he was talking about um, the the language assessment for students. And when we was referring to the families, he used a different term. And yeah, I just thought that was so great. Terms. Like there's like, like there's I like emerging bilinguals, multilingual speakers. If you go to um, Dr. Jose Medina, he uses emergent bilinguals. You know, we're just trying to use that additive because our kids, when when kids walk in with accents, like, okay, that's you have broken English and what they have another language they're building off of. They're just trying mm-hmm. to learn English. So it's, 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 it's so important that broken English does not mean limited. Broken English means they're learning English because of their first language. Therefore, they are translanguaging. Mm-hmm. They're going to be, they're going to their first language to make meaning. And if our students are not making meaning, then why are we here as teachers? So that's my big argument, even here in Kansas. Like I I'm, I came from New Mexico. That was a state where I had, like I told you earlier, our state is Spanish and English. So I came from a state that embraced. Do we have our problems in New Mexico? Yes. I'm not going to I'm not going to say New Mexico is heaven. I'm, I mean, I mean, it's heaven for me, of course, in different ways. <laughs> But, but I'm not trying to say that we're perfect in New Mexico. What I'm trying to say is that I came from a place where our, our Latino, our Chicano, our Hispanic, our Hispano culture was embraced. And I come to a different state where it's sometimes very foreign. And mm. so I've learned a lot from my teachers of how to work with them because 82% of our teachers are white monolingual speakers so that's the part where we have to start working at our pre-service level let's go back to the topic of family engagement in our diverse schools now being that you have both sides you you had this program for family literacy in new mexico where uh family engagement and um the bilingual or multilingual uh, was embraced right Mm -hmm. um and so these these two aspects connected there and just like you said you go to kansas and it's there seems to be some sort of disconnect or it's not exactly you know the same experience so uh how can we help schools assess how we connect our emergent bilinguals as well as our diverse communities. What did that look like for you out in New New Mexico that work well, you think that other school districts could similarly uh, adopt? La comunidad, the community. Who are we? What do we do? Um, that's what connected us. 
because New Mexico, you know, the Barelas community, Barelas community in Albuquerque is one of the best places that I've ever been. And so I was, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, God is good because he sent me to a place that understood what community school was. And so New Mexico has come up with very many community schools. So me coming to um, Kansas, um, when I was in doing my, um, my work with Dr. Leila Flores Duena, she introduced me to Dr. Tara Yoso. Dr. Tara Yoso is, um, I call it community culture, I call it critical race theory in action. It's how we look at our diverse groups with assets, not deficit. So uh, community cultural wealth was the way in which colleges and universities should embrace their diverse communities in a way that um, understands them. And so I really, um, here in my studies, I wanted to um, really look at that and see how can I help uh, people here in Kansas? How can I really study about community, community cultural wealth? Um, and be impactful. Um, so that's what it is. It's back to the community. Who are you? It's not, again, that ivory tower. So many people may think that when I say community cultural wealth, that it's ivory tower. It's really not. It's really about how you understand the community in which you are in. So like you said, linguistic capital, language access. You know, linguistic capital uh, according to, you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Terry Yoso, as well as Dr. Terry Watson, she uh, did a study, you know, it refers to the students' intellectual and social skills through their various communications experiences. So it may be in your language, English, or our language, it may be in uh, the language of our country, or it may be in Spanish, it does not matter. It's just those intellectual and social skills. And it's also the style. So it's not just saying, you know, um, Spanish. It's not just saying that it's any style that you have, any dialect. That's why I brought up dialect earlier. It's because it's part of your language repertoire. It's part of respecting that language repertoire of what you have. I think that it's such an important topic, um, particularly nowadays where equity seems to uh, suddenly be this uh, hot topic uh, in our school districts all around but particularly in our school districts, when they begin to uh, see the the widening of the gaps uh, with the coronavirus uh, situation and um, all of the just different uh, social uh, situations that are currently going on, and um, you know we begin to see this 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 key word suddenly this a buzzword almost equity equity yes ma'am yeah and it's it's like. Uh, it, it's just interesting to see when when the voices uh, have always been there and now suddenly it's, you know, it, it when it was coming from, quote unquote, the bottom up, uh, it seemed to be falling on deaf ears. And now suddenly it's like from the top, they're saying, oh, we must have equity in our in our school systems, um, you know, and begin to have these conversations with with the people that have been requesting or talking about this from the get-go. So I really love this conversation. Um, I do appreciate you coming on board and sharing uh, just that little aspect. It's a, it's a different take 
from, you know, the usual guests that I have on here, which we're usually the ones that are providing the service. We're the ones that are engaging uh, directly in language access, not just in education, but in all sorts of specialties and fields. And, um, you know, but it's it's really great to have someone that understands uh, education policy, that understands education, and in addition, understands the families and the students that are receiving the service and the difference that it can make. I love your statement on, um, in reality, what a community school should look like. And it takes a community and the community, it, it can be everyone, right? It can be, um, you know, from our emerging bilinguals, uh, as you call, uh, as you call them from that, that community and the non-bilinguals, but that is truly what it, it takes to create a community school is involving your entire community and knowing what they need. So I really do appreciate the fact that you came on here and schooled us, uh, pun intended, a little bit on this uh, aspect and uh, just to, to be able to take hear your take on that. And, and I think with what you're saying, it's about inclusivity. And it's about the point that, um, you know, like regardless of our, you know, people may not respect some of the jobs that are in our community. But the point is, is that our families are taxpayers. Our families give money to our public schools to educate them. So when I say that, I'm saying like they're taxpayers. So when I talk to my teachers, I tell them, you serve your community. You're the tat, regardless of you're in McDonald's, regardless of you're at a Forbes company, Forbes 500 company, or I'm sorry, whatever they call them. I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the, the business field to say, but if you're at a multi million dollar company, if you work at McDonald's, if you work in the fields in Northern California, if you work in the fields down south in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where they pick chile, where they pick onions, if you're in the fields in, 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 in Rocky Ford, Colorado, where my family was from, my great grandparents, um, taxpayer money is still going to these schools. So it takes us as a school to understand our community to really make it community school. And so that's where my um, passion is, is becoming community schools and understanding who we are serving because we are public servants, just like our uh, firemen are, just like our police officers are. And we have to make sure that our schools, our leaders, our our board members understand that. And that's my passion. And that's who we are. Thank you so much, Latanya. I really appreciate your time and your commitment to uh, our families and our communities and in education and for taking the time to uh, going out and spreading this message that is so important uh, for lots to hear. So I hope I'm doing my part in being able to share your message. And uh, it was great having you and great listening to this wonderful information. Thank you again for coming on board. Like this means a lot to me because we need to get that message out that we serve our kids, we serve our families, and um, it's the educators in us, educators in our corazón that that brings out the best in us and brings out the best of our communities. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Latanya. Take care. You too. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.